Oh, yeah, let's play football. Anyway, hey, so um, peace. How do you find it? How do you keep it? And, uh, and as we wrap up this series, um, just kind of going through, in, in week one, we were talking about where, where's, where's the source of peace? Where do we find that? Because the, the world wants to find it in every place that it's not, right? Because the world generally, I think, would have a consensus, although there's all kinds of different variations, but a consensus could probably be made around, well, peace is the absence of stress, so whatever I, whatever I need to do to remove stress from my life, if I could live a stress-filled life, I would live a peace-filled life. And so we run after all of the things that we think will bring us a lack of stress. And so if I had more money, if I, if I had more money, and so you get more money, and you're like, well, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's just a little bit more. And then it's like, well, then I got there, but then maybe it's not there. Maybe it's a little bit more than there. And so I just keep chasing that and chasing that. Well, then maybe it's, maybe it's not more money. Maybe it's more, if, if I drove that, if I drove that, 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 that would bring me some peace. I, I'd have peace if I drove that. And then you're driving that and you're making the payments on it and you don't have any peace. You're like, what in the world's up with that? And, and I don't have any peace with that. And so maybe it's that kitchen. If I had that kitchen, if I lived in that house, if I lived in that house, if I had their income, if I had their lifestyle, if, you know what, if I had their body, if I could wear those shoes, if I could have those clothes, if I could do that, if I could go over there, if I could live here, if I could be on the beach my entire life, if I could be on the mountaintop, and on and on we go. And we just don't seem to ever find it. And, 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 and it's because it's not there. And no matter how much we have and no matter how good it is, it's just temporary. It just, it, like it comes and goes. So um, I want to talk to you about and, and differentiate between two different things for you this morning, and hopefully this will make sense. But I want to talk to you about the peace of God, not the peace, not peace with God. And let me explain the difference, Okay. Um, peace with God happens at the moment of salvation, okay? When, when we are separated from God, and sin is the obstacle that separates us from God, we are not good. That relationship isn't good. It's not right. And, and in the same way that sin separates our friendships and, and our marriages and our relationships, Sin separated the relationship that we have with God. It wasn't good. It wasn't right. And that obstacle needed to be removed. And we couldn't have a relationship with our Heavenly Father until that obstacle was removed. So God sent Jesus to this earth physically to pay the price of that sin. And so he climbed up on that cross and he died on a cross as a perfect man. The perfect sacrifice, the only one that could, that could remove the obstacle of sin, and then the, the obstacle is removed, the relationship to God can be had, but God's not going to force us to have a relationship because you can't force anybody to have a relationship. So he just says, I'm offering it to you if you will say yes. But you have to say yes, you have to want to have a relationship with me, and so God, you know what, uh, makes this, this, this invitation to us to have a relationship with us. He removes the obstacle, and when we say yes, and we say yes by placing our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. 
We say, yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and thank you for removing the obstacle of sin and forgiving my sin, so, and I say, yes, I want a relationship with my Heavenly Father. When that happens, there's a transaction that, 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 that happens at that point. We are given the holiness of Jesus Christ. It is imputed to us, and so when God, the, our Father, looks at us. He no longer sees Eric in all his sin. He sees his perfect son. And, and he declares me righteous. Now, trust me, it has nothing to do with me. You should talk to my wife. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. But, but when that happens, I made peace with God. I experienced peace with God. God, okay? But from that point on, and that peace can never, ever be taken away from me. I have made peace with God. Now, the peace of God is something that, that I need to be on offense to run towards, to go towards, or I can actually undermine the peace of God that, that he offers to me in this life. So if you've never made peace with God, that's step one, because you'll never have the peace of God if you've never paid peace with God. I hope that makes sense. So today, I want to talk about how do you stay rooted in the peace Jesus promises? So how do you stay rooted in it? How do you go on offense towards it? How do you fight for it? And how do you get back if you have become uprooted? If, how do you get back to this place of being rooted, if, if you're currently you're just like, man, I haven't experienced the peace of God in my life for, uh, I can't even remember when, the last time I experienced the peace of God. So how do I get back there? So I just kind of want to roll around in the scriptures because the scriptures give us this path back to this place or gives us the, the uh, formula for staying rooted in the peace of God. And I think Probably the biggest one, and uh, you could probably argue that, but one of the biggest places I think helps us stay rooted is turning your mind and trust towards God's sovereignty. So how do you turn the light of God's peace on and leave that on? And I think one of the major ways that we do that is turning your mind and trust towards God's sovereignty. And in uh, and, and you're like, so what, is, what does that mean and what does that look like, Eric? So um, if God is sovereign and, there, and, and there's two decisions that all of you, and if you're watching online, you're going to have to make. You're going to have to decide for yourself, is God sovereign or is he not? And then is God good or is he not? Is God sovereign? If God is sovereign and God is good, then I can rest. If God is sovereign and God is good, I don't have to understand everything. I don't have to have all the answers. And guess what? You're not going to have all the answers. This life has enough trouble and enough things going on. You're not going to know all of the answers. There's going to there's going to be things in this life that just don't make any sense and I can't wrap my mind around it but you know what I'm still okay and I'm okay and I have peace because I know that God is sovereign and I know that God is good and so I can trust him 
My mind is at peace, and I can trust him. So my heart is good, even though I may not be getting what I want, and I don't understand because what I want is really what I would think is in line with the heart of God, but it just doesn't seem to come, and so I don't understand that. But I'm resting that God is sovereign, God is good. One of the things I think that can sabotage that is, is when we don't view God that way and, and we, or we have something that happens that trips us up in that. And, uh, and, and I had that happen in my, my life um, quite a few years ago now. Um, you know, I spent uh, a two, probably two-year period where I was just angry with God, so mad at him. And just, just really angry. And, and that's challenging as a pastor because as a pastor, I'm trying to inspire people to follow Jesus. And, and so when you're the pastor and you're angry with God and you're trying to lead people to the God you're angry with, that's, cha- that's challenging, right? And, uh, and so I was just so angry with him. And, uh, and, and, and it revolved around the life center that we were going to build and and uh, originally, it was like the why that we have, which I'm so grateful that we have. Um, and, uh, but the, the one that we were going to build was like that, only better. And, uh, and, 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 I'm, you know, and I was more convinced that God wanted us to do that than anything else I've ever done in my life. I had more clarity about that. And to this day, if we had lunch, I would tell you... I, I think that's what God wanted us to do. Now, looking back, I don't know the why, and I probably will never know the why, why we came to a place after sacrificing and casting vision around and moving towards and, and doing our best and sacrificially giving, oh my gosh, just gave sacrificially to, to try and make that happen. And then I remember the, the leadership meeting when we, we just, and I finally said to the guys, it's dead. It's over. That vision is gone. And I felt like such a failure, and I felt like such an embarrassment of, of, of why, God? I held up my end of the deal, and you didn't. And, and I don't understand why would you lead me to, to do this with a group of people and then, and then say no and then you know, yank the rug out from under. Why would you do that? And I was just, I didn't have an answer to that. And it just, I was so angry. And, and for a couple of years, just wrestling around with it and wrestling around with it. And finally, I, I was reading through Job and, and this is the passage that got me kind of out of that funk and got me to a place where I realized, you know what? God is sovereign, and I've come to a conclusion in my life that God is good because I've seen too much. I've seen too much. I'm ruined. I I know that he's good. So I just wanted to read to you, and maybe you have, you know, your own version of of this, but it's hard to place your trust in. It's hard to, to run to God for your peace when you're angry with him. You don't run to anybody you're angry with, right? So this was challenging. 
So Job, if you don't know the story of Job, Job was a righteous man. And so you, you would think, you know, you think, well, you know, God should have blessed Job because Job, you know, did things right. And, uh, and yet that's not the way God works. That's not how it works. So you, you know, bad things happen to good righteous people and unrighteous people alike. And, uh, and so, you know, Job had all of his possessions, all of his wealth, all of his family ripped out from under him, gone. And Job's angry with God. Job demands, he has all of these questions for God, and he demands that God come to, into the courtroom and give an account for why he's doing what he's doing. But he didn't expect God to actually show up, but God actually did. And in chapter 38, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. <laughs> That's, I think, when Job thought, I've just stepped in it. Like, you better brace yourself, all right. God goes on. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy watching? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked, I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here's, your, here's where your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed with brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Job, have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created, weren't you, Job? And you are so very experienced. And then God keeps going on a rant. If you want to see a God rant, just read Job chapter 38. He goes on all the way through 38, all the way through 39. And then we catch up with the end of rant number one uh, in the beginning of chapter 40. Then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, 
I am nothing. How, how could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I, I have nothing more to say. And then God wasn't done. He goes on another rant all the way through the rest of chapter 40, all the way through the rest of chapter 41. And at the beginning of chapter 42, God is done, and then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. And there it is. God, you are sovereign. You can do anything that you want to do. And you know what? That's what makes you God. And I am not. And so I, I don't understand it, but I don't need to understand it. You are God. You can do anything you want. You are sovereign. God, you asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes, and I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. In other words, God... Um, as I look at your sovereignty, and I know that you are good, I can choose to rest in that, and as I do, I will experience an extraordinary peace that very few people ever find in this life. And then in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, a, a guy that you would think, you know what, does he have any authority to talk about peace and, and joy? And, and, uh, and you would think, yeah, you know, maybe not. But um, when you understand Paul's circumstances of where he is writing from, that he's writing from a place imprisonment, and none of his circumstances make any sense to be writing about joy and peace, and yet this is what he's doing, um, he brings tremendous, uh, you know, brings tremendous uh, weight to what it is that he is saying. So we want to pick it up in verse 4 of, cha of Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. To a certain degree, you and I are going to choose the direction that we're going to go. To a degree, we're, we're going we're gonna to choose the direction that we're going to go, right? Because if we're going to, if we're, let me ask it this way. What's it like to be on the other side of you? Every single morning, you get to make a decision what it's going to be like to be on the other side of you that day. Today, you are choosing what it's going to be like to be on the other side of you. Those of you that have chosen joy, it's going to be a joy to be on the other side of you. So there's a sense in which 
we choose this and we move towards it. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. And, and I think we read right past this, but we shouldn't. We should stay here for just a second and realize that God is inviting us to say, look, I'm coming right back. Your tendency is going to be to take your focus off and move it to the things the world says will bring you peace. I want you to bring it back to me, and I want you to bring it back to an eternal focus, and I want you to look and remember, hey, I'm coming right back. So hang in there. I'm coming back. And when we you know, keep our focus in remembering that he is coming back, we are able then to not worry, to say, don't worry about anything. And, and we think, is that even possible? But worry is taking tomorrow's trouble and pulling it into today and piling it on top of today's trouble. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab tomorrow and the, and the tomorrow after that tomorrow and the tomorrow after that tomorrow, and I'm going to grab all of that. I'm going to gather it up, all of the stuff I don't even have control of, but I'm going to gather it up, and I'm going to allow it to bother my mind today. And Jesus says, why would you do that? Every day has enough trouble of its own. Just worry about today's trouble. I will be there with you to face it and handle it and deal with it. There's no need for you to grab tomorrow's and pull it into today. Wait until tomorrow for tomorrow's. That's all worry is, is taking tomorrow's stuff and bringing it and pulling it in to today. And, and here's a reason I think maybe we, we do that. Um, we... we compound interest the problem when we try to run to the things that the world says this will bring you peace and then it doesn't bring peace and since it doesn't bring peace there's a sense in which we're a little bit lost right because I thought this would bring peace but it didn't and so now I'm lost and I don't know where to go to find it and and I'm in pain because I thought you know what I thought you know, buying that thing and financing it would bring me peace, but then it didn't, and now I'm experiencing some more pain, and there's other decisions that I thought would bring me peace, but they didn't, and so now I have relational pain on top of some financial pain and, and, and career pain, and all of a sudden, I don't know what to do with this pain, so now I'm going to numb the pain. I'm going to numb it through drug use. I'm going to numb it through alcohol. I'm going to numb it through porn. I'm going to numb it by, you know what, eating my feelings away. I'm going to, I'm going to run to the world's solutions to try and numb what I'm not finding, which at the end of the day is peace. And so Paul just says, hey, this is a defensive position. This is the only defense he's going to say, I, I don't want you to worry about anything, but now I'm going to give you something to do. I'm going to give you, I want you to go on offense, and I want your offense to look better than the first half offense of the Huskers yesterday. I, I want the offense to be better than that. Okay, I want you to fight for it. I, I want you to execute the offense. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, here we're going to go on offense, pray about everything. And to some of you, and maybe you're watching on your own, you're like, oh, yeah, the preacher's got to say that. Pray about everything. That's the answer to everything. Pray, let's pray about it. That doesn't really work. So here's what we do, right? We, we, we don't think that's going to work. So we run to the world, and we run to the alcohol. We run to the drugs. We run to the porn. We run to the food. We run to the other things. We run to the possessions. We run to the things. And, and we run to those things, and those things compile more pain on top of pain until I finally have got my back against the wall where there's circumstances in life where I have to cry out and then I pray. Paul just says, maybe you should run to there first. And if you run there first, maybe you won't run to those other things that actually cause more harm. Pray about everything. Talk to God about everything. Tell God what you need. And if you grew up in the tradition that I grew up in, um, there was, you know, there was guys that would pray as, you know, and when I would go to church, and I'm just like, man, they must be really close to God. Like they, they, they like praying King James. It's unbelievable. I think they use big words. I mean, I would imagine only God could understand some of those words, and he's so impressed with them. Now, as I've lived and become old in, in the faith, I, I've realized God's not impressed with that at all. Not at all. In fact, there's some of those that I would imagine just kind of ticks him off a little bit. He would much rather you just come and you talk to him about everything as you would your own earthly father. See, wouldn't you love it if your children would actually open up to you and share with you everything that's going on in their heart and their mind? (laughs) Could you even imagine that? That would be unbelievable, right? But there's your heavenly father. He wants us to do the same thing. And he invites us to do that. And part of us is kind of like, well, you know, but it's not really, I mean, in the scope of the problems of the world, you know what, what I need is, God doesn't want to listen. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He, he wants you to cast it all on him. He wants you to bring it to him. Tell God everything you need, everything that's on your heart and your mind. And thank him for all he has done. So there's another, you know, another way to execute, you know, another play of offense of of shifting your focus to the things that we naturally go to, which are negative, and shifting them to think about what has God done for you. And when you start writing down everything that God has done, not you will come to the conclusion God is not only sovereign, I'm ruined. God is good. God is good. And my focus changes, and my attitude, my gratitude, it it, it reflects my attitude. It kind of drives my attitude, whether it's good or not. And there's this underlying peace that's just waiting for us to move our focus from this negativity stuff 
to an attitude of gratitude. Then, he says, you will experience God's peace. After you go on offense, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. In other words, the world's not going to be able to make sense of it because it doesn't make sense to the world. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you... Now, I'm not an English major, but in fact, I'm not even an English minor. And some of you are like, we've known that for a long time, Eric. We just didn't share it with you. Um, as you, in other words, this is an ongoing thing. As you live in Christ Jesus, as you continue to go on offense, as you continue to execute, as you continue to play this out in practice. That's why for some of you, you know what? These verses are so old. When you saw this, you're like, <sighs> yep. Heard this one. What else you got? But you're not putting it into practice. You know it, but you're not practicing it. There's a big difference, isn't there? We, we can know it, but as you is living in Christ. As we do this and as we live in Christ, as we execute this, his peace will become a bouncer in your life. Check that out. You get to have a bouncer. Haven't you always wanted a bouncer? Yes, you got a bouncer in your life. It's the peace of God. And so when that anxiety starts to creep its way in, the bouncer comes along and says, oh, no, you don't. You get out. You don't belong in here. That fear starts creeping in, and your bouncer's like, oh, no, you don't. You don't belong in here. You get out. Now, let me differentiate between two things and because I know this is going to be a question that you have. Um, there's, there's a side of peace and anxiety and fear and worry that, that has everything to do and, be, and can be controlled with the way that we, we go on offense with our mind. Sometimes there is a medical side of chemicals that are going on and are conflicting and things in our body that are working against that. Those are two completely different issues. So I'm not going to pretend to know what the, the chemical and the medical side of this is. I'm dealing with the side of it that we can control and that we can, you know, have something that, that we run towards in controlling what happens in our mind and the offensive execution towards that. His peace will guard your hearts, will become a bouncer to guard your heart and your mind. And now, dear brothers and sisters, he doesn't end there. He's like, okay, I got more execution for you, more offense. One final thing. Fix your thoughts. There's another offensive play. To execute, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Now, when I would read this as a teenager, I got stuck right here because the only thing lovely that I could imagine as a teenage boy was some girls that I thought was pretty lovely. And I thought those were those were positive things to think about. So I just would think about that. Now, I really don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote this. I don't I don't think he had any teenage boys in mind at all, but, you know, you teenagers, hey, 
Just keep it pure, right? Okay, so fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So what are some things that are worthy of praise? And, and you could take that into a lot of different applications. I'm going to take it into one. And one of those things that is worthy of praise is what, as we think about what all that God has done for us. And as we think about that, bring it to a place where, where in worship, you just get lost in worship. Have, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been able to, to just take all of the distractions of the people over here and the people over here and the people over here and, and the person that's singing and worrying about if I sang, if they could actually hear it and, 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 and then watching the band? Have you ever gotten to a place where you've been able to take all of the distraction away and you just got lost in worship? The words are so true, they're so meaningful, they're so hit home, that you just get lost there. If you haven't, that's a challenge to you. And it may not happen in this setting, that may be really hard for you, but it could happen on your, in your truck and the way to work, it could happen in your car, it could happen at home when nobody's home. It could happen in the shower, you just crank it up. Just get lost. In worship, I've been in so much emotional pain, probably three, maybe four different times in my life, where, where I just, I just worshipped unabandoned. I just, I just abandoned everything else. And and the peace in those moments, indescribable. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Keep putting it into practice. It's an ongoing thing. So let's, let's review. Remember God's sovereignty. Choose joy. Remember Jesus is going to be right back. Talk to Abba about everything. This means daddy. Talk to your heavenly dad about everything. Gratitude will determine your attitude. Shift your thought focus. Get lost in worship. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I don't know where people's hearts are right now, and I don't know if it's been a long time if they, since they've experienced the peace of God. I don't know if there's some people here that have never, never pe made peace with God. They've never made peace with you. So God, I pray if they haven't, that would be where they would start. And then God, I pray that you would help us to execute on offense and, and do the things and execute the plays to, to bring us to a place where we could experience the peace of God every day in our life. Help us to be a church that walks along with people that are hurting. And I pray, God, we would be a church that leads the way in what this looks like. In Jesus' name, amen.